from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Throughout these summer months, we have been walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're now in the 10th week of this summer sermon series that will take us through the Labor Day weekend. In just a few moments, Sloan Balsley will read our text from Mark. The first text, though, set before us is from the 19th Psalm, verses 1 through 8, page 472 in the Old Testament, if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud. Friends, listen to God's word to you and to me. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our first scripture reading comes from Mark 8:27 through 38. Please turn with me to page 41 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this all quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your minds not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, 
let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Men will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. trusting the microphone will continue to work, though it fell out of my pocket. I believe Tim has me back there, though, so that everyone can hear. Let us pray. O oh, gracious God, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving in our hearts. We ask you to open our ears so that we might hear your word proclaimed. Open our hearts so that we might receive that word for our lives and guide our feet so that we might carry that word into the world today. Through Christ our Lord, we make this prayer. Amen. Friends, in today's society, we place an enormous emphasis on leaders and leadership. We spend lots of time and money striving to become the best leaders in our circles. We take leadership courses to enhance our leadership skills, and we study to hone in on the qualities a person must possess in order to be considered a great leader. We learn that there are particular characteristics one must exhibit if we are to fill such a position. And now that schools are about to resume, we are already making plans and preparations for our children to become the top leaders in their classes. We want them to be the best students in each of their subjects with the hopes that they might land placement in one of the best colleges so that they could become one of the best leaders in our nation or even in our world. However, today, this particular Sunday morning in our 21st century context, which affords us the privilege of having hindsight we are reminded that each of the Gospels remind us of the importance of being a committed disciple. As we read this portion of Mark's good news that Sloane Bosley just read for us today so eloquently, we find in chapter 8, Mark's Jesus appears to lift up the importance of being 
committed disciples. Being a committed disciple means one must be a committed follower. As a child growing up in Gastonia, North Carolina, I remember playing a game called Following the Leader. And we actually had a song that we sang with it. Some of you may remember the tune. It goes something like this. We're following the leader, the leader, the leader. We're following the leader wherever he may go. Now, I had someone after the 9 o'clock uh, lesson come up to me and tell me, well, you said wherever he may go. But I was always following a she. I said, okay, I'm glad to know that someone was. <laughs> well, I can tell you, at that time, the leader would actually take us all through the yards, through the briar brick uh, thickets, and, and we'd even go through Aunt Sally's garden sometimes and get ourselves in trouble. But we did. We followed the leader wherever the leader took us. Well, you see, for those of us who identify ourselves as Christians, Jesus is our leader. And that means we are his disciples. We are his followers. In order for us to be his disciples, we must have a pretty good knowledge about his identity. Perhaps that is the reason Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered, according to Mark, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, or one of the prophets. Well, I find it quite interesting that the people they refer to in their own context are those whose actions and whose words are aligned with the actions and words of Jesus, or vice versa. You see, for instance, they do not say he is one of the former richest shepherds in the land, or he is a famous Sanhedrin councilman. No, instead, they lift up people who are known in their context to be people who proclaimed God's word and performed God's deeds. It is very much like the proclamation that Jesus reads when he begins his ministry and takes out the book of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, no doubt, Jesus knew a little something about being poor. Remember at Christmas time, that's when we actually acknowledge and, and get down to the brass tacks about Jesus' beginning and Jesus' context, that he was born in a manger with wrapped in, in swaddling clothing. Jesus was not born in a huge palace. So Jesus knows something about the context of the poor. One's context is indeed important to one's identity. If we ask a person today who has never attended church before, 
who Jesus is? We might very well get some similar answers as they were given over 2,000 years ago. Some might say Jesus was a man who had 12 disciples. Others might say Jesus was a great prophet who lived long ago. And still others might say Jesus was a man who had a major impact on religion. However, if you ask a person who has been raised in the church or spent most of their lives attending church on a regular basis, that person might say, Jesus is the Son of God. Or Jesus is a person of the triune Godhead. There are still others who will proclaim that Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of a storm. How people respond to questions or circumstances all depends on the context in which they're living. Recently, I received a letter from a lady I will call Mrs. M, a mother whose son is in prison. When I saw her name on the outside of the envelope, I thought that the name looked familiar to me, and as I began to read the letter, I remembered we had driven her and her daughter down to see her son. He was one of the persons who was being legally represented by one of our community partners, the Georgia Justice Project. Through our partnership with Hillside Presbyterian Church, we still make monthly visits to take family members of the GJP participants to see their loved ones who are incarcerated in one of the 51 state prisons. This is all done in an effort to follow our leader as God's agents of restoration in family relationships. In part, Mrs. M says, the Holy Spirit let me know that you will help if any way possible. So I sat down today and said, I am believing God to help me. I am over 70 years old and I have cancer. I thank God that he has kept me for over seven years with this. Pastor Connie, please pray for my son and me and please write my son and let him know if he keeps the faith in Jesus Christ, he will be all right. Jesus's identity is very evident for Mrs. M. She understands Jesus is the one she must follow. She understands and knows for herself that God so loves the world that God sent God's only son so that whoever believes in God will have eternal life. Well, I suppose Jesus decided in order to get to the heart of the matter, he would ask a second question of his disciples. And that second question is this, but who do you say that I am? Peter, who is now speaking for all of the disciples, says, you are the Messiah. By addressing Jesus as the Messiah, Peter is saying, Jesus is the one who fulfills the office of prophet, priest, and king.
He is the one anointed by God to perform deeds and to speak the word of God. In Mark's gospel, Jesus tells them not to say anything about this to anyone. In Mark's gospel, Jesus does not want his true identity known. The timing is pre-Easter, and therefore the only Messiah comes through the death and subsequent resurrection. Jesus takes the disciples and begins teaching them about all that he must undergo. He must undergo suffering, rejection by the religious leaders of the day. He shares with them that he will be killed and on the third day rise again. It is at this point Peter rebukes Jesus. Now, I can tell you that for Peter to rebuke Jesus is a complete no-no. Peter is the follower. Jesus is the leader. Therefore, this is completely out of order. And yet, Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not on the things of the divine. You are thinking about what's going on right here on the earth. In other words, Peter, for Peter the Messiah is going to be one who will overthrow the Roman government, the one who will take on and break all the chains of bondage through war, no doubt. And yet, Jesus experiences that suffering. Sometimes in our own lives, we might experience that suffering. As followers of Jesus, it could come in the way of sickness. It could very well come in the way of an, an estranged relationship. It could also come from unjust practices within our society. And yet, as long as we continue to follow Jesus, we have the assurance that everything will be all right. It looks like that people are having to wait. And waiting is sometimes something that we're not willing to do. We want things done right now. We want things done in a timely fashion. I'm just so glad that our children were able to get compasses so they can tell the direction in which they're going and make sure that they know they're going in the right direction. And the Bible tells us, the Bible expresses to us that Jesus is going to lead us in the right direction. It seems that Jesus has led us all the way to Jamaica in our partnership with the United Church of Jamaica and the Cayman Islands. We had over 40 youth and leaders to go and experience a mission trip with our partners in Jamaica just a few weeks ago. And it's my understanding that they came to upon a time where they thought they were going to help with paving there at the boys' home. But to their knowledge, they began to realize that 
our Jamaican partners had actually hired some workers to do the work. So our group was sort of standing around saying, oh, well, they're doing the work. So what are we supposed to do? Well, guess what? Our group knew, and they began to get to know the identity of our Jamaican partners a bit better. Being in the Jamaican context, time has a very different element in, than we have here in the United States. Jamaica is sort of like a relaxed place, so it's no problem, no problem, man. And therefore, you're on a different time schedule. Well, our group began to engage with the members of our partnership, and they learned with, together with each of our partners. You see, being a good follower enables us to be able to intimately identify what our Lord and our Savior is leading us to do. Notice that Peter, who gave the rebuke, oh, just a few chapters later, it is Peter who stands up and declares, oh no, we are not drunk with wine. We have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is that same spirit that has been loosed and released into our own lives. And therefore, those of us who are following Jesus, we have that same power within us today. So my friends, just remember that being committed followers will mean that we can be and will be committed leaders as well for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Would all of God's children say amen?
As you go forth from this place, remember, you go forth following the leader. Have courage to follow the leader wherever the leader leads us. And may the grace, love, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us all and remain with us always. Amen. Thank you.